0: Let's turn to to God's Word and um, to First Peter, chapter four, and we're going to consider um, verses one through to six. So, if you have that open, that would be that would be really good and just help you to follow and hear what God is saying. Let's just pray, Father. We just pray now that you would just prepare us. You have been preparing us as we've met together today, as we've just had our minds and hearts focused on on you and your greatness, your Son, the Lord Jesus, on the Holy Spirit and how much we need the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Father, we just pray now that you would just prepare us and open our minds and our hearts to to receive what you would say to us. You know us. You know us better than the person beside us. Father, I pray that we would just know the sufficiency of your grace through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder, do you ever feel like turning back? Ever feel like turning back? A lot of people in Sweden... That we've encountered who feel like turning back. It's, it's tough going as a Christian. Perhaps you know others and they said that they followed Jesus at one time and they've turned back. Maybe through especially difficult times, you felt that at times, and maybe maybe there's no one else that you've even told. Maybe it's just been one thing after another to the point that you think, I I don't know if I can take any more. And we feel like turning back. It's nothing new. The people that Peter was writing to were most likely experiencing similar thoughts in the face of suffering, which was probably scorn and mocking at, at this point. Some were experiencing that in society. Uh, In the future, they would be dragged before the courts. Some were experiencing it at work. It was a a challenge with their masters, with their bosses at work. Some were experiencing it in their home and their, their spouse wasn't a believer and it was tough going. And in their minds, if you like, a battle would have raged as maybe it's raged in your mind. Turn back. Turn back. We're thinking today about... About the world wars and other conflicts, They often think about World War One and what it was like for soldiers in the trenches. And that moment when the whistle was blown and the cry went up over the top, and over they went, and the bombs exploded and the bullets were flying and the comrades were were falling to the ground. It's a ferocious battle. But often, the fiercest battle was in the mind. Turn back. Turn back. So as well as your helmet and your gun, if you were going to persevere through the battle, you needed to be armed with the right way of thinking, with the right mindset to keep going and not to turn back. So what kind of mindset should the Christian have? Verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. In other words, arm yourselves with a Christ-like mindset. In the previous chapter, uh, you can read how Jesus had suffered once for sins being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit and how he now has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. So we see that for Peter, right through the letter actually, Christ is the pattern as we suffer and as we follow him because if we have turned from our sins, if we have have trusted in Jesus, then it's to follow Jesus and following Jesus means following Jesus. Yes, to glory, but that road right now as it was for Jesus is through suffering, where many times we feel like turning back. And in our passage, Peter gives us the Christ-like mindset that we will need to arm ourselves with if we're to persevere to the end. If we could summarize it like this, and we'll take each of these steps As we go through the passage this morning. The Christ-like mindset. What would that be? What would that be like for us? I'm going to follow Jesus. Not to live for what I want. But for what God wants. I'm going to follow Jesus. And not to turn back. No matter what it costs. I'm going to follow Jesus and not to lose sight of the end because it will be worth it. So firstly, I'm going to follow Jesus, not to live for what I want, but for what God wants. Before I would become a soldier, self is my commander. But when I join the army, I get a new commander. Yes, there are times that the old commander, self, will still demand obedience. Do your own thing. But I can say to the old commander, you're not in charge anymore. I submit to my new commander, not to live for what I want, but what my new commander wants. Verse 1 continues, whoever has suffered in the flesh... Has ceased from sin. What does Peter mean? Well, If we think about it like this. Once sinful self was my commander. But when by faith I was joined to Jesus. Sin ceased to be my commander. Jesus is my new commander. It's not that I never sinned because sin no longer is my commander, I can say, no, you're not in charge anymore. I submit to my new commander not to live for what I want, but for what he wants. In other words, I can say, yes, sir, to God. And not to self. Verse 2. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh. No longer for human passions. But for the will of God. Back in the garden. This was the mindset. That Jesus was armed with. Not my will. But yours be done. And so if we are to follow him. Then this is to be our mindset also. But what does it mean no longer to live for human passions, but for the will of God? Well, Peter gives these believers some examples of what these human passions would have looked like in their lives. Verse 3, doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality and passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. But what would that look like in our lives? Well, doing what we want to do. Living our lives the same way as everyone else is living their lives. If we think of some parallels to what Peter was saying to them, that could be watching the same films as everyone else. Maybe going to the same parties as everyone else, perhaps telling the same jokes, perhaps perhaps taking the same view of relationships as everyone else. Or maybe the more respectable human passions would call louder to us. Just wanting the same success as everyone else, for ourselves, for our children, the same lifestyle as everyone else, the same image as everyone else. Essentially, human passions, whether back there and then, or here and now, are self-centered desires that are fighting to become the controlling desires in our lives, calling us just to live the way that everyone else is living To say, yes, sir. The passions that Peter has described earlier in the letter as the passions of flesh which wage war against your soul, calling us to obey. Peter says we're to be armed with a Christ-like mindset that says no to human passions, but yes to the will of God. Instead of saying yes, sir, to self and what I want, to say yes, sir, to God and what he wants. So what does he want? Well, Andy helpfully read further down in the chapter, and you can maybe take time to read it at home. What he describes there is not self-centered living, but other-centered living. Keep loving one another. Show hospitality To one another. As each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another. In order that in everything. God may be glorified. Through Jesus Christ. You see saying yes to sinful self. Saying yes to living like everyone else is living. Is essentially a selfish thing. Saying yes to what God wants. Is always other centered, serving others, loving others, using who I am and what God has given me for the good of others and the glory of God. How loudly that will speak in this community, how loudly that will speak in your family, in your neighborhood. When we are not self centered, but we are other centered. When people see that in this fellowship, when people see that in our lives. Jesus is the pattern. Jesus said, Yes, sir, to his Father, not my will. But yours be done. And when he did that, he was saying yes to the ultimate other love, the ultimate other service on the cross. And what a battle that was. As he prayed earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground, it was a battle. And so we can expect it to be a battle for us as well. I'm going to follow Jesus. Not to live for what I want, but for what God wants. Then secondly, I'm going to follow Jesus, not to turn back, no matter what it costs you think of that soldier going into to battle, maybe going up out of the trench and, and rushing towards the enemy lines. What would, what would keep him back? Or what would tempt him to turn back, maybe at the top of the trench and just to go back down and maybe to go, to go home if that was possible? There would be the attraction of what he'd lost. To be attraction of, of life as it used to be. Thinking about people back home and the lives that they're living. And look at the danger that he's facing. Look at the suffering that he's facing. The attraction of what you've lost could cause you to turn back. But also the opposition that you're now facing. As the enemy attacks can cause you to turn back. And for a soldier I can imagine it was usually both of those. And for Peter's readers, there's the attraction of how they used to live, the attraction of how everybody else around them is living, which is why Peter says, "Look, the time has passed for that. The time is past. the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. You'll be tempted by how, how simple. How, how uncomplicated it would be to just live like everyone else again. The life that you used to live. And that attraction can, can be calling you to turn back. Why do you go through this? And for us too, there is something attractive. At times, maybe many times, about how other people live. Perhaps about what we've lost. Then there's also the opposition that we're facing. The opposition that you're facing, I know, is increasing. The tide has turned. Maybe it turned some time back in Northern Ireland. I was saying to someone this morning, if you want to see what it will be like here in 20 years' time, or maybe less, Come and visit us in Sweden. And you'll see actually the effect of God's Word being put out of the pulpit. Speaking to someone recently who went to a church, they were, uh, there was an English person who was visiting a friend in Sweden. They went to a church and they were shocked. The Bible was never, I say it was never open, they didn't see a Bible there. And the Bible went out, and it went out of the homes. And dads weren't opening the Bible in the home to to lead their families. And pastors weren't opening the Bible in the pulpits to feed the sheep. And, And the effects of that has been absolutely devastating through the church in Sweden. The walls are broken down and the gates are burned with fire. And the opposition real. I said about our girls going into school, I'm struggling to think of a person in our church who goes into work and has another Christian in their workplace. Whether that's from one guy who plays in a football team, professional footballer, no other believers. I think about some of the offices. I think about some of the work teams. I think, I can't think of one. is working alongside another believer and the opposition Christian morality is the new immorality think of one lady, 72 years old her son lives in Gothenburg her grandchildren are there in Gothenburg and she's not allowed to see them the only reason is that she's a Christian that's all And her son considers her to be dangerous. We found that when we did a five-day club last summer. It wasn't, oh, well, that'll be nice for the children to go along to. It's not my thing, but it'll be nice for the children, as sometimes maybe we encounter. It was, this is dangerous. Our children must not be anywhere near this. Maybe we saw a glimpse of it. I was reading the news about Dalriada. there. It was that last week of the week, a couple of weeks back. You see the beginnings of it. The opposition. It hurts to be criticized. It hurts to be mocked. It hurts to be isolated, whether that's at work or at home. Peter says that people are surprised when you do not join them. In how they live. And they malign you. And were tempted to turn back. For Jesus. Satan tried everything. To turn him back. From going to Jerusalem. Everything to keep him from the cross. From saying yes to the will of his father. But Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem through blood and sweat and tears no turning back so that through paying the ultimate cost he might bring us to God so that we would follow him with the same mindset no turning back no matter what it costs. And it will cost. And it's going to cost more. We had um, recently a lovely um, young lady, student, who came to us in church in Gothenburg. She's just, she's just gone back to her, her family in China. She was sharing with us um, for prayer one Sunday afternoon about her home church in Beijing, she showed us some pictures when they 'd been put out of their their building, not allowed to rent a building um, and there they were, and they were in the snow and The pastor was standing with the Bible, and he was, he, he almost looked like a snowman and, and you could see the the people gathered around. And some of them, the opposition at home for this girl. Parents aren't believers. Oh boy, it's difficult at home. But you know the thing that really struck me was that they were smiling. And she said, you know it has been the most wonderful experience to be part of that church? And everything that it's costing them to be part of a people who are rejoicing in the Lord Jesus and counting it a privilege to suffer with him and for him. It costs and it will cost and it will cost more. Our final point, running a marathon, if we could change the picture from war a little bit. It's also a mental battle. Perhaps more than a physical battle. It's a mental battle. The person who's running and they can see the others who who aren't running. And and they're having a lovely day out. And they're having an ice cream. Or they're um, with their family and smiling and laughing. and, And the suffering the runner is going through. But the worst thing... If you've ever done, done a race, maybe a 10k or a half or maybe a full marathon, the worst thing is when you see other people stopping. Um, we've the, the world's largest half marathon in Gothenburg every year, 65,000 runners. And they've got taxis that will take you back to the, to the start line, finish line again. And lots of people turn back because it's, it's tough. But what I've never seen, never, in any of those races, I've never seen someone turning back when the end is in sight. There's no taxi in the home straight. There's no taxi near the finish line. When people can see the finish line and what's to come, and there they are standing with the medal, there's no one turning back. I'm going to follow Jesus and not to lose sight of the end, of what's coming, because it will be worth it. Peter here brings the end in view. He brings the end in view in a a negative way, first of all. You see those people who live for themselves and, and it looks so uncomplicated now. It looks so, so so simple and so so easy for them. The very ones who, who would laugh at you for saying no to self and yes to God, how crazy are you? Verse 5, Peter says, They will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. That's those who are still alive. When Jesus returns. And those who have already died. Which means everyone. And for those who have lived. For self. And sin. Those who wanted life. Without God. It will be eternity. Without God. And all that is good. Separated. From the loving. Presence of God. Forever. But for those who heard the gospel. For those who turned in repentance and faith to Jesus. To to follow him. Not to live for what I want. But for what God wants. Not to turn back no matter what the cost. Though judged in the flesh, Peter says, the way people are. And I think he's referring to the, the scorn and the suffering that we face as believers, that is to to test us, which he's going to go on to speak about later in the letter. They'll judge in the flesh the way people are, but in the end, they will live in the spirit the way God does. Yes, the suffering now, but the glory to come. One day enjoying God And his loving glory presence forever. Peter brings the end into sight. And it's clear that it will be worth it. You say, how can we be so sure that that's the end? Because Jesus has gone before. The one we follow has gone through suffering to glory. That he might bring us to God so that we would follow him. No turning back. The soldier going over the top in World War I. He couldn't be sure of the end. Would it be glory? Would it be despair? But we can be sure. It's glory. Because Jesus has already won. He has already entered in. And he has already brought us with him. We're already seated with him. And one day fully and forever and he's done it so that we would follow him all the way through suffering to glory since christ suffered in the flesh and he said yes to his father and he didn't turn back no matter what the cost with the end clearly in view Peter says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. You say, how do I arm myself with that way of thinking? Well, Peter's clear about that as well. It's through the gospel. Verse 6, he says, this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Preach to those who are dead, not when they were dead. There would be no point in that. But preach to them when they were alive. Just as it's still being preached to those who are alive and to us so that we would persevere to the end. As the writer to the Hebrews puts it, so that we would run the race with endurance. The race that is set before us, looking to to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There's a story told, a true story, about a small village in Assam in India. There was a family there who came to faith in the Lord Jesus. An angry crowd gathered in the village and one day marched them into the village square. The leader in that village said to the man and to his family, unless you and your family turn back from your faith, you will die. The man simply replied, I have decided to follow Jesus and there's no turning back. His children were the first to die. He was given another chance. This time it was his wife's life that was under threat. He said, even though it's only me that's left, I'm still going to follow Jesus. No turning back. And soon it was only him One last chance to save his own life. He said, the world is behind me. And the cross is before me. No turning back. That man and his family died that day. But something remarkable happened. The leader was the first to give his life to Jesus. Others in the village would follow. And then throughout the surrounding area. Later an, an Indian missionary to that part. Would put to words, put the words into the hymn. That we maybe sang as children or young people. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Though no one joins me. Still, I will follow, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. The message of that hymn is pretty much the response that our text calls for today to arm ourselves with the mindset of Jesus through suffering to glory. I'm going to follow Jesus, not to live for what I want, but for what God wants, not to turn back, no matter what it costs, not to lose sight of the end, because in the end it will be worth it. Let's pray. Father, we pray that through the gospel, we would be strengthened for the battle. Father, we pray that through the gospel, that you would give us that mindset of the Lord Jesus each day to say no to sin and yes to following him. Not to turn back no matter what it costs. And may we have the end in view. And may we recognize the certainty and the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus. The glory that is his that one day we will share in. And give us grace we pray. Even when others are turning back to keep on and to persevere to the end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.